assemble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Father, you're so majestic. We look into your universe, into the deepest parts, and we see creation. We see design. We see unity and harmony. We see stars that would consume our entire solar system. We look the other way in the most powerful microscopes, and we see the same thing. We see design. We see uniformity. We see harmony. And then we look at ourselves and we say, what is man that you're mindful of us? Almighty Yahweh, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We're so glad that we could come before you with the brethren, united in a desire to follow you, to lay down the burdens of the world and to lift you up as we learn more of your word and learn more of your creation, learn more about us and what we need to do to fulfill the promise that you have given So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll bless us. Be with those of a special need. Be with Brother Matt. Be with those that are struggling with sickness and and healing, that they may look to you as Yahweh Rapha. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, for all the blessings and for giving us the wisdom and, and courage to continue on with your word no matter what. This prayer and petition we ask in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I want to welcome everyone from around the area, from the north and south or wherever, and also those around the world who are watching by the electronic media. Mistakes have been called the growing pains of wisdom. You know, valuable spiritual truth can be gleaned by our error, by our mistakes, and we can get great insight. When we make mistakes, some of the most important lessons in scripture, and we see over and over again, these things repeated in many ways, are taught from personal and collective transgressions known as sin. A speaker at a Christian conference said ministers should not talk about sin because it's too offensive. Yeah, you're right. It's offensive, all right. It offends Yahweh like nobody's business. Sin is simply pushback against Yahweh. I want to talk about that in more detail today. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of Yahweh. Why should we not talk about what separates us from Yahweh? Why? What's, the, what's to be gained? Well, nothing's to be gained by not facing our weaknesses and helping, having him help us overcome. When the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and we're all guilty, then we'd better talk about it. We'd better deal with it and not just ignore it. Mark Twain, that keen and sometimes caustic observer of human nature, once wrote that everyone is a moon and has a dark side he never shows anybody. Dealing with sin not only teaches, but it also is key to salvation. Sin is what keeps us from salvation. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Without holiness, no one shall see Yahweh. Holiness is the Greek hagios, yeah, the Greek hagios meaning morally pure. Morally pure. Without becoming like Yahshua, who was morally pure, we will not see salvation. 
Obedience is the antithesis of sin. It's the opposite of sin. When you sin, you are in disobedience. Understanding the subject starts first and more accurately with defining what sin is. What is sin? Why do we do it? You know, today, surveys are all the rage, especially in politics. Want to find out what people want? Take a survey. If you survey a crowd of people, religious or otherwise, and ask them, what is sin, you will get wide-ranging responses, nearly all vague and generalized and in need of further elucidation. For instance, you'll hear things like, sin is doing wrong. What makes it wrong? Sin is separation from Yahweh. But why does it separate? You'll hear, sin is whatever displeases the Heavenly Father. Why does it displease him? That's not the essence. We're looking for the essence of sin, not the results or anything like that. Or sin is what your conscience says is wrong. So I guess we decide what sin is now. You know, political correctness really has replaced the, the biblical law. So I guess it's that which what we live by. We decide what's right and wrong. And here's a catch-22. When we sin, the Holy Spirit will make us feel uncomfortable. First of all, that doesn't answer the question. And it is only the results of sin. And second, Acts 5.32 says he gives his spirit to those who obey him. So if you don't obey him, you don't have the spirit, so how can the spirit make us feel uncomfortable if you don't have it? And you don't have it because you practice sin and don't obey. Many have a desire for truth, but they're stuck in neutral because they don't have the wherewithal to break through the barrier and the difficulties it takes to overcome and do what Yahweh has commanded. So how does one sin? How do you go about that? Well, surveys certainly aren't going to give the answer because people don't know. The only way you're going to find the answer is in the scriptures. Most people are ignorant of sin. or They'd rather keep it that way, rather keep it ambiguous so that, you know, they don't have to be accountable, so that their behavior can remain unjudged. So they think, anyway. You can't understand and deal with what you can't define, The Bible clearly defines sin. Simple. Very simple definition of six words. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. Short and sweet. The Greek says that everyone doing sin is doing lawlessness. Anomia is the word. Lawlessness. In fact, the grammatical construct of this verse makes sin and lawlessness identical. Identical. We might add that sin is living your life by your own yardstick without regard for Yahweh's. Yahweh had a plan of redemption from the start of human creation. He expected Adam and Eve and everyone since then to abide by his rules. He set up the rules. Because he doesn't change, Malachi 3.6 tells us, then the criteria for redemption have remained the same all the way through the years, all the way since creation, all the way since Genesis 1. Israel learned that there were 
holy statutes to keep and holy times to observe to honor their creator, Redeemer. And because Yahweh's plan remains in full force and effect, and what he taught them remains for us as well, which is the complete word from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-2, then nothing's changed. The law is not just the Ten Commandments, but all the statutes, all the Sabbaths, all the weekly and annual things that we do as part of what Yahweh has wanted us to do and has commanded us to do. I was once asked, am I expected to be able to take off work to keep all those feasts? If I keep the annual Sabbath, how am I supposed to support my family? Are there any special dispensations for people like me? You know, the natural man is always looking for loopholes. What he can get out of instead of what he can adhere to or, or do so that he doesn't need to make any changes in his personal life. Well, following the word is about change. We have to change from where we were to what Yahweh wants us to become. We have to change. But man is comfortable where he's at, like old Lot sitting there at the gate of Sodom. He didn't want to go. Angel says, get out of here. This place is going to be a firestorm, and it's going to be destroyed. He didn't want to go. But Lot learned a lot about making change if you want to live a life acceptable to Yahweh. So that angel put his hand in Lot's back and pulled him out of there. And his wife, she wanted to go back to where she was. We know what happened to her. My response about the feast was that there is no wiggle room. Find a different job if you're having a problem getting off for a Sabbath and feast. Find another line of work if you have to. You think Yahweh won't help you in that? I've never seen a believer who's been released from his job walking the streets with a pan asking for help for donations because he has nowhere to live. I've never seen that. Yahweh has always blessed those who follow him. Always get something. Usually it's better than what they had before. I've never seen a believer begging on the streets because he lost his job and can't find another. And if you haven't noticed right now, by the way, jobs are everywhere. There's more job openings in this country than there are qualified candidates to fill them. We went down to Texas. You see Help Wanted ads all over on big companies, big factories, Help Wanted. Wages, $14, $17 an hour. Right down here on Highway 50 was uh, an advertisement, advertisement for, for a, I didn't know what, a, what kind of job, but uh, making more than the, than the average Missouri State employee makes to start. Down here, just down the road here, another billboard. Just south of town, advertising for applicants to the Department of Corrections because they need people they, job openings are everywhere. I've never seen the state do that. Advertise on the highway. I've never seen them do that for, to fill vacancies. We always say, don't let your employee dictate your faith. I mean, your employer dictate your faith. He's, he's not going to stand up for you at the judgment and explain why he didn't keep the fees, why he didn't want you there. Even if he could, he has no defense, and neither do you, once you understand if you don't keep the Sabbath and feast, once you know their salvational requirements, then you've got a problem. So again, 
Here is sin as defined by the Bible. 1 John 3, 4, sin is the breaking of the law, and these things are part of Yahweh's statutes. But because the word law throws most clerics into uh, paroxysms of paranoia or catatonic shock, oh, you can't obey anything. The law, that's, that's bad. They avoid the Bible's definition of sin at all costs. They have grace down to a science, but they don't understand that grace is meant to help us, intended us, to remedy sin. We make a mistake, we need Yahweh's grace, or we just give up. Poof, in a smoke and you're gone. No, Yahweh has grace, but he wants you to use that to stop the sin. Like a governor, maybe uh, pardoning a criminal. He doesn't give him a pardon so they'll go back out and do it again. He gives him a pardon so he'll change his life. The biggest obstacle of salvation is unrepented sin, which is why we teach obedience so vigorously here. We're all seeking the kingdom, but first we must know what constitute the roadblocks in our way so that we can deal with it. The way is narrow, and we have to know how to traverse those narrow ways, those hazards in our way, and the dangers that await us. Sin impacts every existing relationship. It affects uh, Dealings between men and men, men and Yahweh, families. In Genesis 3, we see that each violation of those relationships came with a curse. A curse. Whether pain in childhood, childbirth for Eve, or thorns and sweat for Adam to try to get some kind of food out of the ground. Man's rebellious behavior alienated him from Yahweh. Isaiah 59, 1-2. But your iniquities have separated you from your Elohim. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin attaches to every baby born in the world. Medical science battles cancer, looking for cures. But sin is far worse and destroys more lives. So why don't the doctors of theology deal with it and go after a cure? They just avoid it. King David said, in sin did my mother conceive me, Psalm 51.5. Other versions say I was born a sinner or I was born in a sinful state, which is what our world is. I remember reading a blog recently. Somebody said, man, I sure wish I was living back in the 1980s. The world was much better then. And I look at that and say, yeah, I lived in the 1980s, but go back even farther. 1950s were better yet. And some guy who's 100 years old said, hey, go back to 1920. That was a lot better yet. When man was moral and man had a regard for his creator. And he does today. Well, King David understood sin. Every broken marriage, every shattered friendship, disagreements, voice, tears shed, are nearly always the result of some kind of sin. Always. To help us overcome it, We have to address it head on. We have to know what it is. We have to know the enemy and deal with it. Here's a challenge. Ask a nominal minister what sin is and note that regardless of what the scriptures say, he will avoid it. He will avoid the plain biblical definition in favor of some wishy-washy dodge. He'll use weasel words that cloak it, hide it. I like to call it euphemisms. Euphemisms are softer, alternate terms that are used to mitigate or hide reality. Someone wants to find euphemism 
as unpleasant truths bearing diplomatic cologne. Here's some examples. You've heard some of these. Instead of habitually late, they say he's chronologically challenged. Rather than firing someone, it was a workforce imbalance correction. The financial world likes to coach, couch its uh, mischief in opaque phrases. When a company expands too fast, borrows too much money, and goes into debt, it is overleveraged. An annoying sales pitch is called a courtesy call. I hate that. This is a courtesy call. No, it's, it's a bothersome telemarketer. Would you go away? You know? Instead of dying, the patient took a harp. A lie is an alternative fact. An invasion is an uncontested arrival. These are all euphemisms that uh, you hear. An intoxicated individual has been talking to John Barleycorn and put on his wobbly boots. I mean, this is just crazy stuff that people come up with. Anything as despicable and detestable in Yahweh's eyes as sin needs a simple, unvarnished definition. Straightforward truth. We must know our boundaries, which the Bible supplies. Besides 1 John 3, 4, the Bible gives other definitions of sin as well, which include unrighteousness. 1 John 5, 17 says, all unrighteousness is sin. It's the Greek adakia, which includes injustice. Think about that, injustice. If you treat others unfairly or defraud them, that's a sin. If you don't pay them what you owe, you defraud. That's a sin. If you make a promise with no intent to fulfill it, you deceive, and that's a sin, whether personal or business. An employee who doesn't work his full hours for what he's getting paid is unrighteous, and that's a sin. Failure to do good is also sin. James 4.17 says, To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Do good means noble, honorable, or morally good. Think about that in your life. If you know to do good and you go shy away from it, that's a sin. Lack of faith, Romans 14.23, is another definition of sin. The Apostle Paul says, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This means, of course, in the spiritual context. Amplified Bible says, whatever is done without a conviction of its approval by Yahweh is sinful. There again, Yahweh enters the picture of sin. If Yahweh doesn't approve it, that is, goes against his laws, it's a sin. So we see that other than just plain law-breaking, sin also includes not being fair and equitable with others in your dealings with others. It means not being honorable and morally good, refusing to help someone in dire circumstances. That's a sin. How about the Good Samaritan story, the parable the Yahshua gave? Well, the self-righteous Pharisees go marching on the other side of the road because they didn't want to deal with this poor guy that's having an issue there. A hit and run would be a sin. Biblically, it's a sin. Telling someone to do something illegal is a sin. Sin includes not doing what you know you need to do, you ought to do, like loving your neighbor as yourself, which Joshua says was the second great commandment. Bad-mouthing, gossiping, 
belittling someone, being vengeful, looking to get even. These are all sins. They all fall under that category. All under the heading of dishonorable behavior. You know, none of these is reflective of the character and nature of Yahshua or the kingdom. None of them. You wouldn't see that going on in the kingdom. None of this. Yahweh has given his statutes and judgments and has uh, written them in the hearts of those who have a love for him and a desire for salvation. This is all summed up in Romans 2.15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Other translations on that part say, they show that what the law requires is written on their hearts. New Revised Standard says, to which their own conscience also bears witness. The New Testament modern speech says, and their moral judgments alternately accuse or perhaps defend them. The last part from the New Revised Standard Version says, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day Yahshua judges the secret thoughts of man. And that's always the thing we need to keep looking at is how Yahshua is going to judge. You know, it's eye-opening to see how Yahweh looks at sin. In 1 Kings 8.38, the writer compares the sin of man's heart with plague. So says, besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all the people Israel, which, notice, shall know every man the plague of his own heart. It's a plague, and it spreads so easily. It spreads like Japanese beetles. Been fighting those for six weeks now. I go out every night. I fight Japanese beetles that are trying to destroy our fruit trees and our garden. And they just keep coming back. It's kind of like sin. They just keep coming back. And spreads forth his hands toward this house. Then hear them in heaven, thy dwelling place, and forgive. And do and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For you, even you only, knows the hearts of all the children of men. You know, in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 4, is Joshua, the high priest, representing Israel in their sins if they repent. He says, take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him he said, behold, I have caused your iniquity to pass from you, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. It's got to be a change of raiment. It's got to be a change. We've got to be cleansed. You know, when the high priest went into, into to serve in the temple, he had to be completely clean and pure. He had to have white linen from top to bottom. He had to be scrubbed and scrubbed, kind of like a doctor going into surgery, scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed before he came to Yahweh, representing sin that has to be washed out. In Zechariah 3, 4, is, uh, we have the filthy garments. Filthy garments, he talks about. Sin. We find shock treatment used in Ezekiel 20, verse 43. Ezekiel says that when the repentant sinner sees his sin, it finally dawns on him. He will loathe himself. He will loathe himself. Sin is so defiling that Yahweh detests it. And so will the sinner when he finally sees the light. If we could only see it. You know, I wish 
spiritual things can be shown to us in color, you know, and see it. You see a bunch of black out there, miserable looking. If we could see sin, maybe it would help us realize how really bad it is and how it can really hurt. Hebrews says sin is flat-out, open, flagrant rebellion. Appropriately, he describes it in 1029 of how much more so our punishment suppose shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the son of Elohim and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, set apart, an unholy thing, and does despot unto the spirit of grace. Another Hebrew word for sin is pesha, signifying the rebellion that's in the heart of every man, naturally, and woman. And such rebellion is epitomized by the Jews' rejection of Jeremiah's message to them in 44.17. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goes forth out of our own mouths, they told him. In other words, we'll do whatever we want. We could care less what you say. We'll do whatever we say. That's rebellion of the utmost. When he was speaking of through Yahweh, or Yahweh speaking through him, the reprobate hates Yahweh, hates the Bible, hates its spiritual order, hates traditional marriage, and the father is head of the family and the wife and children in a subordinate supporting position. He hates government protection of religion, those who oppose abortion and sodomy. All these things are now under attack, and this is the carnal man at his worst. We see it, and it's getting worse and worse. He detests being told to do right. That's why religious people ain't going to cut it with him. He's rebellious to the core. He will not listen. You're not going to tell me what to do. The whole world is becoming a Sodom and Gomorrah, not just Sodom and Gomorrah. We're seeing it everywhere. This is why the lawless hate the Bible believer. They blame Yahweh, of all things, for the tragedies of life that they themselves have caused. Man's own rebellion causes evil and suffering, and they refuse to see it. They refuse to humble themselves. Well, one day they will be humbled. Oh, I guarantee you that. Yahweh will break their knees, and they'll bow before him, or they'll be toast. Jeremiah 44 Four says Yahweh hates sin because sin separates man from him. It's so egregious that Yahweh just can't stomach it. It Makes him sick. Habakkuk 1.13, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. You know, sin is also stressful. Think about it. It's time consuming. It's something we shouldn't even have to deal with. And it's hard work. Think of all the hoops you need to jump through to hide a big lie. Think of it. All the anxiety of living with it, of worrying someone might find out. That is why the law sets us free when you're obedient. Like they say, if you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. The law sets us free. Comply with it. And you enjoy a clear conscience. You sleep better. You sleep soundly and deeply. 
and have a more blessed life. You'll also live longer with less physical and emotional stress. It comes with living the life that Yahweh commanded. You think he didn't know what he was doing when he told us to do this, to live this way? You think he didn't have any idea being our creator? The Journal of Social, Psychological, and Personality Science recently revealed that religious people live longer than others. Yeah. They examined obituaries from 43 U.S. cities that found that religiously affiliated people live between 5.64 and 9.45 years longer than those who are not religiously affiliated. Other studies confirm the same. An internal medicine study by the Journal of the American Medical Association found that women who went to any kind of religious service more than once a week had a 33% lower chance of dying than their secular peers. Skeptics, well, they'll, they'll attribute longevity only to an increased level of you know, social interaction, which they know and we know is good for you and friendship found in church groups and even atheist groups, they'll say. Well, of course, a common interest can unite people as friends, but those of faith are also united under a heavenly Father who has blessings for those who do. In a family of faith, a family does much more for you than just an acquaintance. You know, think about it. When you pass from this world, there's a euphemism, when you die... Who's going to be around you at that time? Your family. Your family, the ones that really matter. A family will love you more deeply, sacrifice far greater, and do much more for you. This extended commitment is not typically there in just social groups, but it is among brethren. We've had so many people say, you feel closer to me than my family. And it should be that way. It should be that way if your family doesn't believe in Yahweh. Because you can trust your brethren. Your brethren are there to help you. Your brethren are there to aid you. They're there to comfort you when you need it. To pray for you. Yahshua said, come unto me, all you that labor on heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Rest. We can go to him for peace and comfort, which also impacts our well-being, which also impacts our longevity. He also gives us rest from the work of managing, controlling, worrying about, and hiding sin when we turn our lives over to a life of obedience. Get rid of that extra dead weight of sin that bogs us down. In Jeremiah 9.5, Jeremiah said that his people weary themselves to commit iniquity. And that's what he's talking about, what I just talked about. They weary themselves. They worry about it. They commit things and then wonder what's going to happen now. Who's going to find out? Should I have done that? Look what's happened now because of that. On and on and on. That's sin for you. A distinction is important to note. To slip up one time, that's one thing. But persistence in sin is totally something else. We all slip. We understand that. Compare 1 John 2, 1 and 3, 4 through 8. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yahshua the Messiah, the righteous. This means that if a believer, someone who's following the best he can, but makes a slip up here and there for one reason or another, 
who has been following Yahshua, uh, if he repents, he has the blood of Yahshua. And again, can have a clear conscience knowing that he's forgiven. If he truly repents, and that means turn the other way and live a different way. Don't repeat the sin. The word sin is harmartano and means to miss the mark, to err, to be mistaken, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of Yahweh. If I tell a lie to save myself, some embarrassment maybe, I have committed harmartano. I've missed the mark of righteousness. This doesn't mean I've become a chronic sinner destined for the lake of fire, which would be the category of the lake of fire. It means I need to repent and get back right with Yahweh. And he'll forgive it. He'll forgive 70 times 7, which is basically not 490 times, but unlimited if we totally repent in sincerity and really mean it and don't repeat what we just did. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not, does not keep on sinning, in other words. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the son of Elohim was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He's still destroying the works of the devil every time he helps us overcome sin. It's amazing the power that sin has. It controls our world in most respects. Another example is Galatians 5, which lists a number of sins. Then verse 21 continues with envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, going out and whooping it up, which leads to other problems, and such like, which I tell you before and which I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of of Yahweh. Do is Greek praso, a verb meaning to practice, to perform continually or habitually. And it differs from poio, which refers to a single act. That's what it shows in the Greek. It's talking about making sin your life's avocation. I sin, that's what I do. Here we see two kinds of sinning, an occasional slip and a habitual practice. A mistake versus daily pursuit. Some people, that's what they're after. They're after sin, and they pursue it every day. All sin is an affront to Yahweh and his standards. And does that, however, make all sin the same? I've heard that in the past. All sins are the same. They are. Does a sin of stealing carry the same penalty as murder? Uh, no difference, no consequence change. Deuteronomy 21:22. if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, so there must be a sin not worthy of death, you see? And he put to death, he be put to death, and you hang him on a tree, obviously, there are sins not worthy of death. Even the culture realizes that. I can steal a person's shoes. I can steal a person's car. I can steal a person's life. Each one carries different consequences. 
One is petty theft, one is grand theft, and one is murder. Each carries its own penalty. Yahweh's laws carry different penalties too, depending on their severity and nature of the transgression. Along with that, Yahweh, the righteous judge, takes into account a person's motives. He looks at the heart, which I'm sure glad that man doesn't judge me. Because there's some things in my past I've repented of, but man, he's not so forgiving. Look what happens. You try to run for office, you know, all of a sudden they dig into your past and dig out something, something happened 20 years ago. Throw that up as if you're unqualified now. If they had done that, David would have been gone. History would have wiped him out. We wouldn't even know about it. You can repent and you can change. Yahweh, the righteous judge, takes into account a person's motives, his heart, and his situation. He didn't consider it stealing to go through a field that's been harvested and take some of the what's left over for yourself. He didn't, Yahweh didn't consider that stealing. In fact, he made it available. He told the farmer that when you plant your field and harvest it, you leave the corner for the poor and the needy, those that are starving to death. See, there was, there was uh, you know, an amount of, uh, of uh, help for people even back then who simply, maybe not according to their own uh, issue, couldn't uh, survive. He commanded this be a provision. He was to make it available. And remember, remember that refusing to help someone in such circumstances, as we have found with the Samaritan, it's a sin. Judas Iscariot, a sad and most egregious of sinners in my book, was consumed by the thought of 30 pieces of silver. So much so, he would betray the very Savior that bought him. The heart is the key. What do we secretly desire? Really, what it amounts to, what do we really want? Do we lust after things that we really don't need? You know, we've got so much in this country. We've got to have storehouses to store them. We've got to have metal sheds to put all our stuff. Now, I'm not talking about when you're moving, but... When you're not moving, you just have no more place for it. Your garage is full. Your sheds are full. So you've got to pay money to have it stored. That's where we are. Do you need it? No. I could get rid of half my stuff. I wouldn't miss it. Marge and I relieved ourselves about half our clothes six months ago. And somehow they all propagated. And we got as many as we had before. We've got to get rid of them because we never wear them. We've got too much stuff. Too much stuff in my garage, I can't even park my cars. So many people are in that way. Just want to get rid of it. We don't need it. What do we secretly desire in life anyway? Yasha explains in Luke 12, 47, And that servant which knew his master's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Guys, recalcitrant. He didn't care. He's rebellious. He's going to be beaten beaten with many stripes. Verse 48, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. 
So the ignorant servant still paid. He still received stripes. He didn't get off scot-free. Sin always exacts a penalty. It's always there. It has consequences in this life, but not necessarily in the next life if we repent. Sin is always there, it seems. But Yahweh is always just, and he always looks at the heart. David, we've mentioned him, although forgiven and promised a high position in the kingdom, right under Yahshua, believe it or not, he's called the prince. He's going to be in the millennial kingdom for the last 1,000 years. David's going to be right there. But guess what? He still had to pay a penalty for his sin in life because Bathsheba was got, gotten unlawfully. Uh, Yahweh took their baby. And then David's family was in turmoil from that point on. From that point on. He paid in more ways the rest of his days. The question is, did he repent? Was he forgiven? Yes, he was. But some consequences had to be paid. The lesson Yahweh wanted David and us to learn is that sin always exacts a penalty. David learned some valuable lessons. The penalty of his mistakes brought him back to reality. David's saving grace was his repentance. He didn't use the tired excuses common to man. He didn't plead innocence. I didn't do it. Or ignorance. I mean, he was caught dead to rights. He knew he was guilty. There was nothing he could do. But he could have done something else. He never claimed that the circumstances that overcame him made him not be able to help himself. He never claimed that. Another response to being caught in sin is the old blame shift. In Genesis 3.12, Adam tried to shift the blame to Eve. Eve tried to shift the blame to the serpent, who, of course, had no leg to stand on. In Exodus 32, 21, Aaron, who made the golden calf, tried to shift the blame onto the people. Well, it's their fault. They caused me to do it. King Saul did the same, 1 Samuel 15. He blamed the people. Or how about the old change-the-focus dodge people use? Well, you aren't perfect either. We're not talking about me. We're talking about you. What's that got to do with you? Although Adam, Aaron, and Saul tried to shift blame, they were still punished by Yahweh. I'd rather take the punishment and repent now than have it impact my salvation. See, everyone who sins who will not repent, no matter what the excuse, is going to face judgment. Romans 2.6 who will render to every man according to his deeds. We answer for ourselves. No one's going to stand there and answer for us. We can't have our father, mother, brother, sister, anybody else, minister, stand there with us and say, well, yeah, but listen to this, you know, and be our defense. It's us. It says nothing will be there but you and the judge. Nothing between you. It'll be you and the judge. Now, that's assuming that you're not in the first resurrection. If you're in the first resurrection, you've already been judged. You wouldn't be in the resurrection. But those that come later in the second resurrection, when the great white throne is set up, then there will be judgment. David knew he had sinned against Yahweh, and he humbled himself in one of the most 
touching records of repentance in the Bible, Psalm 51. And we read it at Passover time every year practically. He brought forth fruit worthy of repentance. He was a rarity. Where did he ever see that? When Nathan says to him, told him a little story about a man's sheep, only one he had, and this guy comes and steals it from him. And David is incensed. He said, how could he do that? Take this man's only sheep. So Nathan says, you're the one. Boom. He got down on his knees. And he repented. One of the best responses to someone who rightfully blames you for wrongdoing is, I'm wrong, but I'll do better next time. What can they say? I'll do better next time. They're satisfied. And they won't think anything less of you. They'll think more of you if you're not blaming someone else or blaming something on what you have done. It shows guilt and it shows repentance. David didn't say, yeah, but she shouldn't be down there swimming like that, tempting me. (laughs) One guy says, isn't it interesting that she's called Bathsheba? The guy doesn't know Hebrew. It means she's the daughter of, he, of Sheba. That's all it means, Bathsheba. Anyway, he didn't blame her. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't say, well, I just had a weak moment, but, you know, I had her husband killed, but I had another weak moment. You know, He said, I'm wrong. You got me. I'm busted. The world has not been reduced to smoke and ashes because Yahweh is giving man time to repent. And he says in Psalm 86.5, he'll readily forgive those who sincerely repent. 2 Peter 3.9 says, Yahweh is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all of us to repent. He wants all of us. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He doesn't want anybody to, be, to die eternally. He wants us all to repent. The fallout of sin is a twisted mind. Under sin's influence, you don't think spiritually or even rationally in many cases. Paul discusses this in Ephesians 4.17. This I say therefore and testify in the master, that we henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of Elohim through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all cleanness, uncleanness with greediness. In other words... The mind of the sinner is consumed, is dominated by evil, and it needs to be washed clean. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of Elohim, for they are foolishness unto him. You ever tried to talk like to an atheist? Now, some of them are very smart, but they're just on a different wavelength. They just, it's hard to connect because they're thinking carnally. That's a different spirit. It's really hard to get them to understand what you're saying. To humble and turn. Because these things are spiritually discerned. The natural man separated from Yahweh is on a complete 
different level. You know, sin is egregious because it transfers our allegiance and focus from Yahweh to someone like Satan. Who would ever choose to be dominated by that filthy, evil being? Well, he's got the world by default because they don't realize, most of them, that they are. When you live in sin, that's exactly where you are. Paul said lots of people make the choice because it's easy to make. Ephesians 2.2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. It's a spirit. It's an evil spirit that's working there. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh. We were there too. We were all there too at one time. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So, in summation, what do we do about our sins? We know that our sins are blocking our access to Yahweh, are blocking our access to salvation. First, we've got to get it right with Yahweh. We've got to cleanse your, our heart and mind before sin destroys us. Yahweh is faithful and just to forgive, we find in 1 John 1, 9. But you've got to approach him in humbleness, humility, and repentance. Saying, I'm done with that. I'm done with my past life. I realize that to follow you make, demands a change in my life, and I want to make that. Because this world has nothing for me. It's dead end. It's dead end all the way around. And when Yahshua comes, it will be literally dead end when he judges this world. Each will be judged based on his own life. The problem is with, not with Yahweh, but with us, with our rebellion, with our nature that we need to overcome. See, man has a natural problem in coming to grips with his failings. He doesn't even want to see that. He may know he's not doing quite right. Met a lot of people who weren't biblically astute, but they knew right from wrong. They know it, but they weren't able to or wanting to go the next step to deal with it. I guess probably because a lot of people are happy the way they are. Of all the commands in the Bible, the hardest one to follow is repentance because it takes humility and it takes a change, a complete change, a complete reversal of where we are. And that's hard because we become very comfortable with ourselves and our past. Man loves tradition. We argue, well, sometimes we argue. Someone has a doctrinal point they call up. And uh, you try to explain the Bible. Well, my church says, my church says, I mean, we've done this for 2,000 years, my church says. I want to know what the Bible says because they left the Bible 2,000 years ago in many respects. So I don't care about tradition. I don't care about, you know, the things that man uses to, to uh, support his, uh, his wrongdoing. I want to know what the Bible says. But the hardest one to comply with is repentance, humility. It takes a special person. It's, it takes someone who's called of Yahweh. Many are called, but not everyone's chosen. Many are called. 
So if we're being called, and, and we were talking about that in the Bible study, you know, you, you can tell when people are called. Because you t- explain something in the Bible, they don't argue back. So really, tell me more. I didn't know that. I didn't know there were feasts. I didn't know that the Sabbath is the seventh day, is Saturday. I, I mean, their minister knows it. Every minister knows the Sabbath is Saturday. But they, they honor the uh, resurrection day the day of the L-O-R-D. That's not in the Bible. But they know it. But again, it's tradition that binds them to error. Tradition. We've got to get rid of tradition. And I guess that's why we, we're so out of step with most of the religious uh, organizations today because we don't go with tradition. We just go straight Bible. So many people have said, you know, I believe everything that you teach because I studied it on my own. We didn't know them, but they learned it on their own just by reading the scriptures. And that's what it takes. An open mind, a willingness to follow Yahweh, and just comply with what he says. That's what he's looking for. When Yahshua picked Peter, James, John, Andrew, what did they do? Um, I can't go with you right now. I got some obligations at home. Um, I got to help with the family fishing operation. I can't go. They dropped their fishing rods or nets and followed him. They didn't question. And that's what it takes. A willingness to say, it's right. I'm going to do it. And end of discussion. One of our first feasts, there was a man who, uh, they approached him. One of the guys was big on goat milk. Came up to him and says, Willie, have some goat milk. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. He never had it before. He said, it's in the Bible. It is. Fill up my glass. That's the kind of thing that Yahweh's looking for. If it's in the Bible, I'll do it. But we have to be able to overcome our own carnal natures, and that's not always easy, but we can do it with Yahweh's help. We can do it when we repent. And I pray that everyone hearing who has not done so will do so, because it's key to your salvation. I mean, I, you know, who wants to see anyone suffer and die? So change, make the change now and find out the blessings Yahweh has for you. It has the greatest rewards if you'll only submit to him. May Yahweh bless you.